Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to 20 cents per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to 20 cents per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store. Welcome, everyone, to episode four of the NBA podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Brian Toporek, and I am joined today, as always, by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How are you guys? Doing well. Good afternoon, fellas. Hi, Brian. How are you? Um, I'm good. And uh, dear listeners, we'd like to apologize for our brief hiatus. I was off gallivanting in Europe for a little bit. Is really smart to plan a vacation right at the NBA playoffs start. Um, but we are back in full force, and today we are going to talk about everything that's happened in the Western Conference so far. So we are recording this on Saturday, April 30th. The first round in the West is done. We are set with the Conference Finals matchups. In one side, we've got Golden State and Portland. The other, we have San Antonio and Oklahoma City. So we're going to start talking about the biggest storyline that came out of the first round, which is Stephen Curry. Uh, He got hurt in game one, suffered an ankle injury, missed the next two games, came back in game four, slipped on a wet spot, and suffered a grade one MCL sprain, which is going to sideline him presumably for two weeks. So we're in about one week right now. In theory, he's got another one to go before he comes back. So guys, I want to ask you, they're going against a Portland team that just took care of a injury-ravaged Clippers. If Steph doesn't come back at all, do you think the Portland Trailblazers have a chance to make it to the Western Conference Finals? No. <laughs> no. Like, I'm impressed by the Portland Trailblazers, without a doubt, the way that they have come together despite losing four starters and the six-man and making this run to the playoffs. I mean, they're fantastic, and they have such a bright future, but... You know, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, the depth, general depth of Golden State. I mean, it's just too much to overcome. I I think it's going to be a, a five or, or six gamer. I could see Portland like making it tough on him, but winning out? No, no, I, I don't think that's realistic at this point. And that's really not, not a knock on Portland. I mean, I really need to clarify that because they are dangerous as hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh... They have a chance, Mort. Give them a chance. <laughs> yeah, but I don't see it happening either. Um, just just watching Oak, uh, sorry, Golden State play without Steph, which, by the way, can we mention that Houston turned out to be even more pathetic probably than we imagined them to be? <laughs> oh, my God. So bad. They, not only could they not really beat Golden State without Steph except for one game, they, they didn't even compete. They weren't even in the games. But anyway, we're going to flush that and move on. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're too deep. They're playing well. I, they seem even more driven now, if that's possible, Golden State. So, yeah, I, I think it's pretty safe to say they still get where we all expected them to go, and that's in the conference finals. You're so kind, Sarah, <laughs> because like you, all, you with, the, with the Spurs and um, Mavs series, you're like, yeah. They, or sorry, Spurs and Grizz series, you were like, yeah, this, the Memphis, they actually have a chance at winning a couple of games. Yeah. No, 
no, they really didn't. But but I like the fairness that you live in. Yeah. You know, you always want to give people a shot. You you don't want to like discredit them or, yeah, I always. like that. That's that's yep. that's very positive. You're you're very kind. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you guys. I think Golden State obviously enters as the favorite, and it seems like Steph is going to be back, mm-hmm. presumably by Game Five if not sooner. I think I just saw that Steve Kerr is not ruling him out for Tuesday's game two. Um, he says, Oh, he's he not, should be. Yeah. He, he said he's not likely, uh, but not totally ruling it out. I mean, first I just, that golden state crowd is still insane. And that Blazers team is young as hell. They haven't really, aside from Dame, they haven't really experienced too much of the playoff crucible and it only gets tougher in every series. So I think that's going to be a lot to overcome. You know, I do think Portland, I was higher on Portland than you guys. I'm going to gloat for a minute. You know, I, I said they had a chance to knock off the Clippers, and though it was totally fluky in the way that they did it, uh, they did still win game three with that with Blake and CP3 still in the lineup. I, I just think Terry Stotts is really, he's so underrated. He's so smart. Like him putting Harkless in the starting lineup and then having Harkless guard Chris Paul in that first round series is brilliant. And I think that Harkless and Minu combo does present a little bit of a challenge for Golden State. I, you know, I'm gonna always go back to the fact that Portland was the one team to just totally annihilate the Warriors this year. That first game out of the All Star break, where Dame yeah. had 50 and seven assists and six steals, like just totally went Steph Curry supernova. You know, I don't know, I don't know that that happens four games. I don't know if it even happens three games, but when you have guys like Dame and CJ, uh, there's always that chance that one of those goes off for 40 and suddenly you steal a game on the road and now it's a whole new series. Like now you might be inclined to rush Steph back. Um, I'm also not convinced, even if Steph comes back, that he's going to be 100%. You know, that there's a pretty decent chance that he will be affected in some way. So he might not be the true... 50 40 90 mvp player that we that we know um 50 45 90 thank you <laughs> <Yeah>. very much <laughs> with 30 points per game you know so if, if it if it hampers his shooting ability at all again I, I i'm picking the warriors here but it depending on where he comes back it's either warriors and five or warriors and six for me yeah i i would sit steph until the conference finals i would i would just risk it i don't think they're in trouble so I would just sit him for an extended run. I mean, two weeks. Even if the diagnosis is two weeks, I would just sit him a little bit further. So so to make him entirely fresh for San Antonio. And yeah, so you can already imagine here who I'm picking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I think they need yeah. to definitely err on the side of caution. I was really glad when they sat him the first couple of games. And then they brought him back. And, and he didn't get hurt again because of that. It was such a freak thing. But... They definitely could have stood to take leave him out a little longer. There's no reason to even play. And then the fact that, you know, he even sniffed the court after he strained his MCL. There was no reason to even bring him out of the locker room after halftime. I know he wanted to be out there, but there's no way. Yeah. So, yeah, they need to be careful. But uh, as far as Golden State, I think, you know, we have to give their defense a lot of credit because mm. I think they're going to make it tough on, on Damien and CJ. It's not just their individual defenders, but just as a team. Like the last couple games I watched, 
that I went back over multiple times when they played the Spurs, their their rotations are immaculate. It's like you don't know whether to be frustrated, impressed, just angry when you watch it because it's <laughs> I would watch them in slow motion thinking okay if I slow it down they're not going to get there in time <laughs> but they got to the right place every time so they're going to force Damian and CJ to to give the ball up and to make some other people score and uh, we'll see we'll see how that works for Portland well yeah g- given that Amino can shoot mm-hmm. now somehow <laughs> That actually becomes a viable option. Yeah. If the ball is to be given up, you know, you can find Amino from the outside and any defense would have to scramble. That wasn't the case last year. That has never been the case for Amino. Well, right now they have a, a sniper out there. Yeah. And we even saw Mo Harkless begin to drain a couple long balls as well. I'm not saying that's going to continue, but if that is a trend going forward, then you can't really go double them all that aggressively. Right. It's just, I don't think it's going to be enough. They're going to need more than just those two oh, guys. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amino and Harkless are going to be the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and also, I think one of the big revelations from the first round was this Mason Plumley point center, like where that came out of yeah. absolutely nowhere. Uh, but DeAndre Jordan is a very different defensive matchup than. Andrew Bogut for one, but then if the Warriors go small and play Dre at the five, like he is much, much, much better suited to defend someone with a varied skill set like Plumley than Jordan, who is really just pretty much stay within the restricted area and defend the hell out of the rim, but he's not gonna go chase a stretch five anywhere. Or if he does, you're really negating his strengths. Oh Draymond is gonna drink his milkshake. Yeah. <laughs> Like not even one. He, he, you know what, Dre? He's gonna he's gonna drink his milkshake, and then he's gonna go buy him another milkshake. He's gonna steal it from him again and drink it like just right, straight up in front of his face. And he's probably gonna do that two more times. You know, he's he's gonna dominate the hell out of him. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's not even gonna be pretty. Like NBA fans are gonna look forward to it. Oh, we wanna see Dre go go crazy on Plumlee. No, at at one point we're gonna be like, have mercy, have some mercy on him. <laughs> you know. It's 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 gonna be brutal. I already feel for Plumley. Like, should we send him flowers? Yeah, I think we might need a priest to read him his last rites before the series. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we're gonna have to see. Game one is Sunday, so we will see how that unfolds. It sounds like Steph again. Hopefully, we'll be back at some point during the series, much to Morton's chagrin, but. Either way, the MVP is not out for the entire postseason, so we, as NBA fans, have dodged a huge bullet. A team that did not dodge a huge bullet, however, is the Clippers, who lost not one, but two of their best players in about a six-minute stretch of the fourth quarter, sorry, the third quarter of Game 4. CP3 was reaching in on a Gerald Henderson drive and suffered a broken bone in his hand. And then Blake Griffin uh, aggravated the quad injury that he originally suffered on Christmas. Both were, Blake was ruled out for the rest of the postseason. CP3 was ruled out for four weeks. And the Blazers made sure that he was sent home for the summer. So now we're in an interesting spot with the Clippers. Because Doc Rivers, before the season started, he was talking with Grantland Zach Lowe. And he said, you know, if this core doesn't make it that far we might have to give serious consideration to blowing it up. 
and this is one year after the Clippers, the whole DeAndre drama thing where they lured him back from Dallas at the last possible second. And now we're talking about blowing this core up because both Blake and Chris Paul can be free agents after the 2016-17 season. So I'm curious, guys, do you think it's time to say goodbye to the CP3 Blake Jordan Big 3? Uh, as I, I think I've mentioned this before, as a Spurs fan, you know, you're kind of hardwired to just hang on and never blow anything up. But <laughs> that said, I mean, it just feels like this team needs needs to start over. You know, it's 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 not I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, especially because this year what happened to them, it was such a calamity. It was ridiculous. Blake had a hell of a year the entire year. And some of that obviously was. Uh, self-inflicted but uh, others weren't uh, the quad in, in fact was not but it's just it feels like they've tapped out like they should move on from and I don't know who they would move on from I suppose Blake but it you know having this offense that is is predicated on Chris Paul being ball dominant all the time maybe they should move on from that but it is sad because there's something to be said for keeping it together having a team that's still going to be a top what top four team in the west a team that, you know, if not for everything just exploding <laughs> in that game, <laughs> you know, they were how close to what? Possibly getting a chance to go to the conference finals this year. Of course, again, that's because of calamities that befell Golden State, but that's what can happen from year to year. So, you know, do you want to stay a good team and give yourself a chance if, if something bounces your way or what? But I think they need to look to the future and they probably need to move in a new direction. That's just my feeling on it. God bless you, Sarah, because we are going to disagree for the first Good. time on this Good. podcast. <laughs> because, you know, Chris Paul is ball dominant, mm -hmm. but he is so productive with that True. dominance. And simply, uh, he, he's flat out amazing. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he can produce the kind of efficiency that he does, keeping his turnovers low, get everyone involved despite being, you know, ball dominant. I, yeah, I, I'm ready to give this team another shot for one year, but only for one year. And preferably after they get some kind of free agent in there. They need one more guy to come in on a banana boat. <laughs> who, who might you be referencing? Oh, I don't know. No, I honestly, I actually don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, I haven't really given that a whole lot of thought yet, but I do think they need one more wing. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen to Paul Pierce, but you know people are making too big of noise about Paul Pierce possibly retiring. He wasn't good this yeah. year. He was he was really old and ineffective. So it's hit, the loss of him doesn't really matter. They need someone a little bit younger. They need someone who is oh I don't know not Jeff Green, uh, someone who's a bit efficient, kind of a two way player like Luol Deng. Hmm. That's actually, you know what I'm gonna go with Luol Deng. I have my free agent to target if I'm the Clippers. So here's the problem with if you're the Clippers. Right now we've got projected to be a $92 million salary cap. As of now, they have 10 players, including a couple who are non-guaranteed or have player options. They are accounting for $83 million of the cap already. So unless you make a big trade or somehow get rid of J.J. Redick, which I don't think you want to do... No. They're going to be pretty restricted in their ability to get a big free agent. They can re-sign Jeff Green. You know, I, I, I don't think that's the big splash that we want to see. But I don't know that they're going to be able to get 
the Luau Dengs of the world, especially with the salary cap set to explode. It seems like they're going to have to chase, you know, the guys who are 35 and are willing to take a veteran's minimum for a chance at a title. But those guys are also probably going to the Warriors or the Spurs uh, before the Clippers, unless they have a personal relationship with Doc or with Blake or something. You know, I'm I'm really split here. I, because Sarah, you brought it up. Like they, the Clippers. I think it was Monday morning was when we found out Steph's MRI, and they find out we're out two weeks. So everyone's like, "Oh my God, are the Clippers about to make the conference finals? Like this is the chance they've been waiting for." And then <laughs> 24 hours later, it was, "Oh my God, they don't have Chris Paul and Blake Griffin for the rest of the playoffs." That's just the most Clippers thing that could ever happen. Um, so you know, it's. It's really tough because even without Blake for half the season, they still won 53 games. Like, they were still a great team. And Blake was playing extraordinarily well before he got hurt. I think he was averaging around 23, a little less than nine rebounds a game and five assists. So he was, like, he was playing at, quite honestly, his best level uh, before the injury. And I don't know if you guys saw the Kevin Ding of Bleacher Report had a column uh, a day or two ago that said Blake knew if he came back, there was a pretty decent chance he was going to re-injure the quad, but yeah. he didn't care. He, he still came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he, like he could have underwent surgery right away, been ready to go for the Olympics this year, been fully healthy for the next season. And he said, no, I want to be back for the playoffs. I, you know, I might get hurt again. I don't care. So he really did sacrifice a lot for the team. Um, I mean, the broken hand thing, it's unfortunate, and it was a big, unnecessary distraction, but it sounds like the quad was really the injury that was going to keep him out the whole time regardless. So with you know, with that in mind, I do almost want to give this team one more chance, but then I get so nervous because Paul and Griffin can both leave after next season. Yeah. Um, I just think the biggest problem is... I don't know what fair value you're getting for either of those players. Like the the two prominent trades that have been discussed are Paul for Kyrie Irving, but Irving's playing really well. And if the Cavs make it to the finals again, God forbid if they win the finals, they're not going to shake their core up all that much. And even if they do, you know, you question the wisdom of trading Irving who's 24, I believe, for Paul who's in his 30s already. Like you're, if LeBron decides to leave for whatever reason, at least you've got Kyrie as a young building block still. But if you trade him for CP3, then LeBron leaves. Like you, you, you've punted your future even more than you did when you traded Wiggins for Love. And then Griffin, the big one is for Carmelo Anthony, but I'm not yeah. doing that trade if I'm the Clippers. <laughs> like that's no. What, what is that going to accomplish? So, yeah, I just, I, I I think I would run it back one more year, but if there are signs of trouble, start to really consider blowing it up at the trade deadline. Now, I know this guy is also a free agent in 2017, but there is one trade out there that's been brought up a little bit on Twitter, and it's not not by beat writers, but by fans, and it is unrealistic because of this, the, the, the size of it, but... Chris Paul and Blake Griffin for Russell Westbrook and Serge Ibaka. Ooh. I kind of like Ooh. it. I kind of like it a lot, actually. 
because then you get Russell back in Los Angeles. You know, he went to UCLA, yeah. and he might be inclined to re-sign there in 2017. He's younger. He would get his own team. Serge Ibaka would, would revert back to his old self, more than likely, because he would be one of the feature players. And <laughs> Oklahoma City would just be immensely, immensely talented. At this point, I look at Russell Westbrook's trade value as being superior to Chris Paul's due to age and explosivity mm -hmm. and everything. Um, and then, of course, Blake Griffin has tremendously more trade value than Serge Ibaka, so you could argue that it would be somewhat equal value overall. Maybe you need to throw in a few pieces here and there, but like for the frameworks idea, would you do that? Any of you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, 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 for which yeah. team? For which team? Well, for the Clippers, I would do that for sure. I almost would want to do it for the Thunder, but I, you know, I feel like they're really attached to Russell. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know that they yeah. would do that. That's the sticking point, right? I mean, I, mm -hmm. I too think that they would... I, I never I think they would never even consider trading Westbrook or yeah. Durant at any point. And I get that. I mean, we're just trying to spitball ideas here for... <laughs> just for, mm -hmm. for argument's sake. But, like, from a value perspective, I kind of like it. Yeah, I, I really... I've never... I hadn't seen that even proposed until now. But the more I think about it, the more I don't totally hate it for either side. Which is probably a assign this a pretty fair trade mm -hmm. i think sarah's right that over okc's dead body would they ever trade westbrook <laughs> yeah. um but doc rivers has proven that he does not care about first round picks so you know he'll throw in like a 2021 <laughs> first rounder and by that point who knows how bad the clippers are gonna be yeah. um, and, and his know, son blake's got some and his son yeah and his could, could, son, you, imagine, right? could you imagine that meeting like <clears throat> call up like, <laughs> austin we gotta talk son Come on in. And he sits down and Dog is like there going, so, um, yeah, listen, uh, don't tell your mom this, but um, I kind of traded you. <laughs> Dad? Like, what? That would, I, I would watch that. Oh, that would be, yeah. He needs a reality show. Yeah. If the Kardashians have one, there's no the, reason the, the Rivers, rivers. shouldn't have yeah. one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's a really, oh, man. I, 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 Blake's got some Oklahoma roots too, so he actually might be inclined to resign there. That's true. And I think, I mean, Russ and Serge are both like all four of them could be free agents in 2017. So it's not like you're trading a long-term value away. Like all four of those guys could leave anyway. So it's risky on both sides. But yeah, that's that's interesting. I for the Clippers, I would do it immediately, and for the Thunder, you know, I, like I. A CP3 Blake KD trio might be better suited to play the way they would need to against the Warriors than Westbrook, Ubaka, and KD. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. All right. If, we, if we're going to blow up the Clippers, let's go nuclear. Let's do that trade. Yeah. Let's get Sam Presti and Doc on the phone right now. I have a small confession, though. Yeah. Where I, okay. I saw it on Twitter, it was my own feed. I, I suggested it a year ago. <laughs> I, I just wanted to test the waters before I looked like a complete idiot. Yeah, yeah. no, that's that's really that's really interesting. Like, I, I wouldn't say no right away if I was either team. No, so that's, yeah, that's I, I think, like Sarah said, I think Oklahoma is going to say no just because of, like, the PR backlash that would come from trading Russell. Like, could you right. imagine Thunder fans 
Oh, my God. oh they would yeah. hate it. Even if they got Chris effing Paul and Blake Griffin, they would right. be like, no, no, that's Russ. That's our heart right there. Why are you doing this to us? Like, they would just, they would cry for a full year. <laughs> As they finally come around on Russell Westbrook, they trade him away. <laughs> it would be so fitting. <laughs> that Yeah, oh, that, that would be tragic. That would be yeah. so tragic. Well, speaking of Oklahoma City, we have quite a second-round series shaping up right now in that the Oklahoma City Thunder will be traveling to San Antonio Saturday night for Game 1 of the Western Conference Semifinals. So Sarah here is our resident Spurs fan. Sarah, talk to me about what's going through your head right now. How, how excited are you? How nervous are you? What are you most worried about in this matchup? Are you feeling confident at all? Uh, you know what's funny is I was like about as cynical as you could be um, in the first <laughs> round, even though obviously it was a round that the Spurs were probably going to advance through just because of the way that they've looked offensively lately. I've uh, That's bugged me for about three weeks now. But I am feeling pretty confident. I am excited and also not excited. I'm still scarred from 2014, Game 6. Obviously, the Spurs go on to win that game. But they enter the fourth quarter, up 10. The Thunder shoot 18 free throws in the fourth quarter, (laughs) tie it up, and take it to overtime. That is something I never want to see again. And we're probably going to see a lot more of it than I can stand. Every year, that's what happens. You know, the the Spurs are always one of the teams that traditionally commits the least fouls in the league. The Thunder traditionally shoot some of the most free throws in the league, and something's got to give, and it's usually <laughs> it's usually the Spurs <laughs> fouls. So uh, I don't want to watch them shoot free throws all game, every game. I'm not looking forward to the pregame dance fests and, and all of that, but I know that it yeah. won't turn into what it turned into in the Mavericks series because the Spurs aren't going to make a thing of it. But I love, too, that people are like, Will Westbrook continue dancing? <laughs> like, as if he's going to stop. He's Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yeah, he's, he has such tremendous respect for the Spurs that he's just not going to dance. That That's going to happen. But anyway, you guys have posed some great questions before we started talking today. Um, is, is Cantor going to be an X-Factor? Yes, but I almost think you more expect him to put up some points. Obviously, if he's going to be... The guy that he was turning into at the end of that Dallas series, uh, that's going to not be ideal for the Spurs. He had, what, in games three and four, he was damn near perfect from the field. Had 21 points and then 28 points in 22 minutes and 26 minutes. Just, like, scorched earth stuff. But I think Spurs can withstand some some input from him. The thing that I think is going to tip the scales of this series is going to be more waiters. It's like, is Waiters going to make shots or is Danny Green going to make shots? And even for the Spurs, you could throw in like Danny Green and Patty <laughs> since, you know, you're not going to get as much probably from either one. It's going to be a game-to-game thing. But that, I think, is going to be the difference. And the, But what I'm looking forward to the most is obviously Kawhi versus Durant. Um, and I hope that we get that for the majority of the games. Uh, I know Pop's probably going to stick Kawhi on Westbrook for moments. Um, he did it like for entire second halves during the season. I I don't really want to see that as much. I think you know with uh, Kevin Durant having a rough shooting 
series, last series. I feel like he's kind of ripe for Kawhi <laughs> to, to mm-hmm. get on him and lock him up. Uh, so I, that's what I want to see. But I don't think we'll get as much of that as I would like. Danny Green started to shoot a little better in the first round. He was 6 of 13, so he didn't have a lot of opportunities. But that was encouraging. Patty Mills shot better. He was 43% when he had been at 30% in April before the playoffs started. So those are encouraging things for the Spurs. But, of course, <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen once this, this next round starts. What are you guys thinking? Do you think you think Danny's going to contribute? Well, Sarah, I'm still stuck on your opening statement here. Like You, you were in horror of a game that you won back in 2014. <laughs> like I, I can't even... I'm sitting here going... Being a Spurs fan is really, really a huge luxury. I mean, we're we're on video, so we can see one another. And you're going like you were really serious in that moment. Like, yeah, (laughs) we we almost we almost lost that game. We were up, and they came with a run and then tied the game. We won the game, but I don't want to see that. I was sitting here thinking like, dude, that's that's harsh. I'm a Bulls fan. I mean. We're we're just accustomed to losing, like early in the playoffs. And Bry, you're a Philly fan, so like yeah, you know, we, we we won ten games yeah. this year. Let's not let's not even. <laughs> I don't know what winning feels no. like anymore. <laughs> I've forgotten the taste of success. And Sarah, she's oh no, we almost lost the game. That's yeah. Yo, it was <laughs> eighteen free throws in a quarter. I could feel it <laughs> slipping away. Boo, freaking who? Oh, you won the game. Oh. No, but I agree. Barely. With, yeah. <laughs> well, no, you know, I, I agree with everything you said. And I understand why you're kind of nervous in regards to Kevin Durant. Because, like you said, he's right. And he is looking at Kawhi as a challenge. There is no two ways about it. Durant is going to go into the series. He's going to look at all the buzz surrounding Kawhi. And he's going to go, I'm going to score 50 on that M effort. I'm going to get 50 and I'm going to do so efficiently and I'm going to just try to dominate the hell out of him. Now, Kawhi, who I imagine doesn't speak at all, basically, is just silently <laughs> looking at him going, hmm, I'm going to lock you up, lock you up, lock you up. And hopefully that's going to be the case because that's going to be for the best series. And I'm looking forward to that matchup probably more so than any other matchup in this playoff. But at the end of the day, I could see Kawhi winning out because I think he's that good. Like, I don't like to give yeah. Charles Barkley any sort of credit for his his job on TNT. But <laughs> at one point, a couple of weeks back, he, he's, he went on a, a positive rant where he was really against people calling Kawhi like a, a, a defender. Like, he was, he was talking about his all-around game, the fact that he could score a lot of points if he, if he needed to. Well, hell yeah, Chuck. For once, you were absolutely right, and that's the case. Um, he's an all-around player. Durant is as well, but he's more inclined to be a scorer. So I could see Kawhi, in his own sense, dominate the matchup via efficient defense, like elite rebounding, elite shooting. And even if he ends up averaging like 21-9, and nine, he can do it in a manner that is Scottie Pippen-esque which is mm-hmm. still utterly ridiculous. So I'm really looking forward to that series. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you touched on, on Kawhi's offense because I think that is the underrated part of that yeah. matchup. I mean, we all know Kawhi D on KD offense. That's the big storyline. And if you hold KD to anywhere close to a point per shot, it's a huge victory for the Spurs. But, I mean, Kawhi was the leading scorer for San Antonio this year. And Kevin Durant's not a bad defender in his own right. Like, that's going to be a challenging matchup on both ends of the court for both of them. So, I, I mean, I, you know, it's a it's not exactly a huge leap of faith to say that matchup is going to decide this series. But I think the Kawhi offense on KD defense, that's going to be an underrated part of that matchup. I think my big question for, you know, aside from how that matchup goes and how the hell anyone, much less the Spurs, stops Russell Westbrook is what role does Tony Parker have in this series? Because Westbrook is going to murder him. The role of confused Frenchman who doesn't understand what was the blur that went by him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like I, I, I'm really curious to see how many minutes he plays and if pop gives him the quick hook oh if he's absolutely. just getting scorched. hello patty mills yeah yeah i think i mean sarah you touched on patty as being a as a big uh big x factor here so i i would not be surprised to see him like is it sacrilegious to say that i he might play more minutes than tony parker in the series i would be surprised only because pop very rarely goes in that direction it's like he always sticks with tony regardless uh, I think sometimes people would like to see him uh, sit Tony a little longer, but it doesn't usually happen. The thing is, Patty's, you know, he's not going to be <laughs> that successful defensively either. You know, he has to play mm-hmm. a more aggressive style. He gets up on people, but because he does that, it's easier to get blown by as well. He kind of has to pressure people full court and hope that, you know, he takes time off the clock and gets a jump start on the defensive possession, but... Yeah, it, it's going to be a struggle, but the, you know, obviously neither of those guys are going to be asked to to do the bulk of the load. They might play a half on those guys, and and then it's going to be Danny or mm-hmm. or Kawhi that's going to switch to Westbrook, and so we'll see. But yeah, I, I hate to think that Tony is useless against them. Uh, <laughs> he, like I said, he won't be asked to do that much defensively uh, if he could just stay with Russell somewhat for like a half. That would be good for the Spurs. I think he need offensively is more important. He needs to, like I said, Danny Green has not been getting a lot of opportunities really all year. So if Tony could make sure that Danny gets a few good looks a game, that's probably the most important thing that he can do for the Spurs this series. Going forward as well, if if the Spurs get to move forward, that's going to be his biggest role. Can can Tony hit a few like elbow jumpers, look for a shot every now and then, and then get get Danny or some of the other guys involved? And to your point, Tony in the corner, like for for the mm-hmm. long ball, he's he he can actually hit that, and it's one of the, it's an aspect of his game that's become fairly underrated. That's really the key for Tony, as far as I'm concerned. I want to see him take that three ball in the in the corner a little bit more, so he can squeeze out that extra point. Because if he has to exert a lot of energy driving around screens and you know, he's going to go up against Russell Westbrook, who's quick on his feet. Like, how can he get into the lane on a consistent level? Well, he can't. He he has to rely a little bit on the jumper. And if you can have, like, Manu handle the ball and, and play Tony a little bit 
off the ball and especially camp him outside the corner pocket and you can get a couple of shots going from there, well, the Spurs at least get that little bit, extra bit of spacing that they're probably going to lack in this series. But the big matchup, and Brian, I know you're going to agree with me here for me and the one that we haven't spoken about yet, Boban Marjanovic and Steven Adams. I want to see those two go at it. Yes. Like the porn stash yes. against Boban. <laughs> I want to see that for like 45 minutes <laughs> for this series. I just want to see that matchup. Yeah, if Boban doesn't play, I'm I'm gonna be so mad. We need to we need to just hit reset <laughs> on the series until Pop starts playing him. I I mean I'm glad you you guys touched on you know Tony is not gonna be the primary defender on West for, presumably like Danny Green should have that. And I think that's where you know I feel like for years we've been clamoring for OKC to get a three and D two guard. And this series is where it's going to kill them that they don't have it. Because, you know, you're not going to be sweating leaving Andre Robertson open on the wing. Like, if Tony Parker is cheating off and double-teaming or hedging on screens a little bit to double-team even briefly for Westbrook, like, that's fine. Because the worst thing that happens is you leave Robertson, or even better, Deion Waiters open for a three. And, you know, more often than not, like, Deion played really well against the Mavericks, but... Personally, I, I have a feeling Pop is just going to be goading Dion into open shot after open shot. And he's going to say, you know, he's just going to be like, all right, prove it. Yeah. Like, hit 10 of these in a row, and then we'll start guarding you. But until you show that you are going to be a consistent factor in this series, we're going to send a lot of most of our defensive attention toward Westbrook and Durant. And then we're just going to let you. You can have fun, Dion. <laughs> Keep waving in the corner. Yeah, can we agree? that if pop at any point this series plays andre miller and tries to have him guard russell westbrook that then there is no sympathy oh, lost for the sideline oh, interview anymore at least for the series <laughs> oh no yeah all right that's fair yeah that's that's fair all right so quick prediction time guys but how do you see this series playing out and how many games i'm i'm i want to say six because that's you know that's not like a really dominant but it's still not to the point where it's like in desperation time. I think the Spurs have this, mm-hmm. but I could see Oklahoma City if they hit on all cylinders, dragging on to seven. And in game sevens, yeah. everything can happen. But since I do believe in the Spurs, I'm go- I'm gonna say six. I'm gonna stay with six. All right. Uh, final points, real quick. I'm glad that you brought up Kawhi's offense, Brian. He had a terrific first-round series. Nobody cares because nobody watched that series, understandably. Um, (laughs) I think he's ready to roll. I think it's great that the Spurs have LaMarcus to go back at Ibaka, uh, as as great as Tiago was for this team. That's not something that they've had before. And and he played well. LaMarcus played well against Ibaka so far. And that's another thing that we can talk about as it goes on. I think the... uh, the Thunder might be well served to throw Adams at Lamarcus for a little bit, put Ibaka on Timmy, and try to force Timmy to shoot that elbow jumper and let Ibaka hang out around the rim. But um, that said, too, I, I'm glad y'all brought up Bovon because I, I didn't think Bovon would play at all this series. And you know what? He really might play a little bit. It's it's a possibility. And I kind of hate Steven Adams for for talking and in interviews because he it makes it impossible for me to hate him because they brought up Bobon. <laughs> yeah. They brought up Bobon and he's like, Big Bob, Big Bobby. He's he's a heavy boy. 
but uh, he's fun to play against. So yeah, I love I love Stephen Adams as much as I want to hate him. But so anyway, all that said, my my head is telling me Spurs and six, but I'm gonna go ahead and just say Spurs and five. Oh, oh snap! <laughs> I wouldn't wow. be shocked either if they get you know destroyed and lose the series, but Spurs and five, I'm going for it. I like the fact that you go Spurs in five, which is the same that you did with the with the Grizzlies. Hmm. So, so you you have the Spurs losing essentially as many games in your prediction that is to the Grizzlies as you had Oklahoma City. All right, that's well, that's I should, bold. I like it. I should just go Spurs in five every yeah. single time. Well, you know, I, I I like the confidence. Like last time around, you were really really conservative. Like, oh no, you know what? Memphis, they have so many players they could really, you know, kill you with their depth and their no. <laughs> no. Their depth. Yeah. Yes. And now yeah, now now they have two of the best five players in the world. That's the same thing. It's good. Uh yeah. Wow. Uh you know, I'm this is like I've been torn in, I mean this this series we could see this coming since like February. So I've really honestly been thinking about it since then. And I'm so torn because I could absolutely see Oklahoma City winning. And like I've been trying to talk myself into Oklahoma City for months now. I think I picked them as my preseason champion. I was so sure that Billy Donovan was going to unlock this like highly advanced version of them. But their crunch time struggles in particular, I just think that's going to be the difference in this series. So I'm taking Spurs, but I'm doing it in seven. I, I, and that's really, honestly, I just want seven games of this series basketball gods you already ruined the first round by killing you know half of the western conference bracket to at least owe us a makeup give me give me seven games of the series dude lara croft couldn't unlock that team like literally (laughs) i i I think that combination of duran and westbrook as great as they are i don't think that you i think well i think you have to be like greg popovich to really have any sort of say in how they play and how you can get them to buy into a system i think mm-hmm. those two are so good individually that it's it's almost impossible to orchestrate a, a system around them that is like what we envisioned like a set play I, I don't think you're gonna see that a whole bunch not with any coach they get in like scotty brooks billy donovan whoever the next is gonna be yeah yeah yeah, That's why I point. like your trade proposal, Morton, for them, even though I don't think they would do it. I oh, think that would be a more cohesive team, even though Chris Paul is yeah. ball dominant. I think he could take more of a backseat, which would be good for him, mm. and he would get you know Blake and Kevin involved and let them do their thing. Yeah. That would be fun. Especially as Kevin is so able to play off the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, he he doesn't need the ball to create stuff. He can just come off screens. I mean, he that that's really the great thing about Kevin Durant. He can play like Reggie Miller, and he can play like Kobe Bryant. I mean, it's he's so versatile. So you can just pluck him in, and even Blake Griffin, who's become a tremendous passer in his own right, can even mm-hmm. you know have the offense go through him on stretches. So, that, that, I'm down for that trade. I mean, should <laughs> yeah. we should we just call the league office on their behalf and make <laughs> yeah. it happen? Like. I think yeah, so. I, I would also like to see Serge Ibaka's career get back on track in, in Los Angeles. We we need we need more Serge. Yeah, he's gonna be he's definitely an X factor in this series as well. I'm excited to see what happens, but hopefully we'll have the next two weeks to talk some more Spurs Thunder. 
You hear me, basketball gods? Two more weeks. <laughs> One we final want. point, Brian, to this season or to this series. Like, how badly is Ennis Kanter going to get humiliated defensively? Like against, you know, yeah. just when he goes up against Tim Duncan. Oh God, against Timmy. But see, Timmy hasn't been scoring all that. Much. No, no, I'm, t- like, I'm, I'm saying thinking... defensively. Like when Ennis, even even if. Timmy isn't even if Timmy isn't scoring like you know he he, he can pass he can pass you know yeah, from inside yeah. and he, he can you know facilitate the entire offense and he can direct and Ennis Cantor is just gonna stand there and watch he's not even yeah, gonna realize gonna... that he's cutting he's not even gonna realize that when Duncan gets the <laughs> gets the ball in the post that he can make the little drop-off pass he, he's just gonna be so confused at whatever Tim is doing and on the other end he won't have that same offensive freedom like right, Timmy's gonna, just gonna eat him, I think. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Pop is just gonna when when Cantor's on the floor, Pop is just gonna send Kawhi and Aldridge at him relentlessly, yeah. just every single play. And maybe Cantor is the key to get Duncan's own offense going. Yeah. Well, or maybe he's just forty and he shouldn't be. <laughs> He probably shouldn't be playing basketball anymore, but somehow he's he is. Not and at a high he's level 40, thousand. We just don't know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. He's he's. I don't know if you guys watch Game of Thrones, but he's like the. Uh, oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. That was that was that was like a very beautiful ten seconds that turned into a horrible forty-five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk briefly since we've lost. We already touched on the Clippers, but we lost three other Western Conference teams in the past two weeks. The Houston Rockets, Memphis Grizzlies, and the Dallas Mavericks. I think of the three, Houston's probably the most interesting uh, because they've got, you know, as Sarah said earlier, they put up no fight. Even after Steph went out, they just looked like they did not want to play together at all. And I don't know if you guys saw the video of their reaction to James Harden's game oh, yeah, in Game 3, but... Dwight looked like someone just peed in his milk. Just I'm sure James Harden did. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, the two big storylines with them are, one, J.B. Bickerstaff is an interim coach. We don't know what's going to happen there, but it sounds like Jeff Van Gundy is getting some serious consideration. And two, Dwight has a player option that he is almost certain to decline. Sounds like he's going to leave Houston. So... I mean, I guess the question is, first, what do you do if you're Houston? Do you do you try to re-sign Dwight? Do you just say good riddance? Do you think that the Harden-Howard partnership is salvageable? Um, and then two, is there, is James Harden? I mean, he's a great offensive player, but are there concerns about him being your number one guy given his limitations on defense and his reported leadership conflicts? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm shopping James Harden real hard this summer. I really am. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy here. I'm trying to just make changes in the NBA. I already have like Chris Paul going to Oklahoma city and I'm, <laughs> I'm now trying to get Harden out of the way in Houston, but you want but Jimmy Butler out of Chicago? Yeah, yeah but you that's for this whole thing entirely down. different, per, uh, you know, different reasons though. But but yeah, I mean, you just said it right there, Brian. It's not just a defense; it's the locker room concerns because there is one. 
if he can't play along with others and you know there is a rumor going around that players just don't like playing with james because he handles the ball that much and he's it's just the offense is completely attuned to his fiddle and that just won't work for everyone that's a concern that's mm -hmm. not a star i mean yeah okay individually and skill set wise he's a star but he doesn't have the necessary leadership to be that guy at least it appears to be that way you could argue and I'm sure that Daryl Morey will, that if we give him, if they give him an, another year, maybe two, he could learn that role of leadership. But mm -hmm. I mean, how likely is that? Look at him, the way he plays out there. He's playing for himself. Or I mean, yeah. at least it appears to me that that's the case. And no one is having fun on that team. No one. So I, I think it's time to just start over a little bit. Like, they, they also made some stupid mistakes last year, like the Corey Brewer signing for that amount. That was just, that, it was so obviously a bad deal, and it's not something that they should move forward with anyway. And, oh, it's just a messed up situation. And I'm even kind of impressed that you managed to put the word impressive in there, Bri. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the last word I would use. In regards to Houston, so I would sh I would shop him, and I would not try to get Dwight back, at all. I would just move on. Yeah, how crazy is it? The year ago they were in the Western Conference Finals, and now we're yeah. saying not only blow up or get rid of Dwight, but like just blow this thing up from the ground yeah. up. No, it's but it's worth stressing that James Harden was not on the court when they you know they were down three one against the Clippers. They have that insane Game Six comeback. Harden was not on the court for that, so. Make of that what you will. The plot but... thickens. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was actually the crazy part of that equation was that they were in the Western Conference Finals to begin with. That probably should have never happened. But the Spurs and the Clippers bludgeoned each other in the first first round, <laughs> and the Clippers were the Clippers and just fell apart. So, but yeah, talking about teams that need to blow it up, I don't think any of us are going to argue about that one. I I don't think, and I've thought this for a couple of years. And I just haven't said it because I don't like to make like overarching statements like that. But I don't think any team is ever going to win a championship with James Harden or Dwight Howard as their one or two option. So that's just that's just how I feel about that. And I think you got to move on from Dwight, let him go, because an unhappy Dwight is really not going to be effective. Hey, he struggles anyway right now, just for you know his physicality it's obviously not what it was and if he's unmotivated and he feels like he's not getting the ball he's not going to be great and then you guys already talked about James Harden so I don't even really need to go there well one place Dwight is already drawing a little bit of interest is Dallas banana boat <laughs> yeah banana boat Chandler Parsons trying to bring him on a banana boat Dwight said something like well is he a prophet which didn't really seem to be a Strong denial <laughs> just seemed to be like, I'm not going to talk about this for three months. But, I mean, you know, Dallas did go after DeAndre last year. They almost had him uh, before that whole disaster happened. And they badly need a center unless, I mean, Zaza Pachulia played well this year, but he kind of fell apart down the stretch. I'm not putting my faith in JaVale <laughs> McGee. So, you know, I, I kind of like the fit white in dallas especially i mean that's an old team because you've got dirk you'll have howard who's above 30 
Darren Williams is going to opt out, but it sounds like he wants to come back as well. He's over 30. So that's, you know, that, that, that whole team, when when they fall apart, it's going to be Netsian in the fact that they're just going to be starting from ground zero. But, I, yeah, I kind of don't hate the idea of giving Dwight, like, a three-year, $60 million deal and seeing what he can do there. He did want to play with Darren Williams, like in yeah. 2012 or 2011 or whatever time it was. So why not join up with him now when he's kind of washed <laughs> up and just like Dwight, they're on similar career paths anyway. Makes sense. Like, hey, D-Will. Hey, Dwight. So we're both a mess, huh? Yep. Let's team up, guys. Let's, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And Dirk will just sit there and smile broadly and then think what the hell why did i return one more year <laughs> i shouldn't have done that i have a good life i have a good wife i have kids i i i hate my life right now that's probably going to be the situation for dallas in about eight months yeah that's well at least they won't have rajon rondo back that's true that's true yeah it sounds like i mean chandler parsons is also a free agent mind you so he him recruiting dwight to dallas makes it seem like he's going back there but there was at least one report tying him to orlando because he played uh college ball at florida so the whole thing bears watching dallas is one of those teams that they could start sinking like a stone if if parsons leaves and if they can't get a free agent they're going to be in the lottery for a good long while but i could definitely see dwight there giving it one more go with the old timers It'd be so funny if Parsons actually succeeded in recruiting Dwight Howard and then bolted himself. <laughs> That's like Elton Brand <laughs> and Baron Davis yeah. back in the 2008. <laughs> Love you, Elton. Oh. So the the last one we had here was the Memphis Grizzlies, who Sarah's Spurs just brutalized, just totally, yeah. totally brutalized. I mean... There was nothing the Grizzlies could do. They were down Conley. They were down Gasol. That was just, it's not even a fair fight when they're fully healthy. So that was just totally lopsided. But now they're facing a make or break summer because Mike Conley is a free agent and he is putting some pressure on the front office to sign uh, other guys to help bring this the Grizzlies into a new era. So I'm curious, guys, do you think Mike Conley is back with the Grizzlies this fall? I think, um, yeah, I, I think Mike Conley is going to get a phone call or a phone message from Tips mm. in Minnesota. I hope so. And the voicemail is going to sound like a guy, an old man with a very rusty voice because he's already been screaming at film for about two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, going like, you know, hey, Mike, so uh, <laughs> you know who I am? I know who you are. You play defense. I want to get you in here and I want to create a culture with the Minnesota Timberwolves and you at the helm. And I'm going to trade that guy Rubio because he can't shoot for shit. And I think that's going to be about it. I think because they got tips now, they are a viable free agent destination. And I think Mike Conley would fit like a glove within that organization. Having said that, and I know I just kind of poke fun at Rubio, I don't think they are necessarily going to trade him because defensively he's exactly what Tips loves. But I don't know. I, just, I could see Mike Conley just at least going elsewhere because how the hell are Minnesota, or sorry, Memphis going to upgrade right now? 
Like, what do they have at their disposal to really upgrade the team? If Mike Conley tells them, you know, I want to return to a better roster. Well, we can offer a year older Gasol. How about it? Or maybe <laughs> da, 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 his brother as well, who doesn't play defense. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's not going to do it. That's not a, that's not a good pitch. <laughs> who else needs a point card? Like the Jazz, possibly? Philly. Yeah, Philly, of course. Philly, Philly, <laughs> Philly. Oh, oh, the Jazz. That's a good one. Like yeah. Mike Conley yeah. with Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Gobert. Oh, I like that. That's I hadn't thought about that one. That's good. Well, they have Exum right. coming back, but who well, knows? Yeah, but he was yeah. like even in his rookie season, he was not as good as advertised. And and that's right. not saying that he's not going to be good, but he's coming off an ACL. And oh man, I mean, do you want to put a lot of eggs into that basket? If if they want to sign Conley and send Exum to the Sixers, they can have Okafor. <laughs> I'm fine with that. That's that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. He would I'm he would cool get stuck that. behind Favors and Gobert. It'd be beautiful. Yeah, he wouldn't complain that's, at all. That is his future. He is just a rich man's Ennis Cancer. Like he should stop playing more than 25 minutes. He's coming off the bench, just beat up on some bad backup bigs. They give up unless you're going to play defense and learn how to guard a pick and roll. That's your that's your future right there. That's really Blue. the future of the league, though, isn't it? Like big yeah. men who were, let's just be honest here, big men who were all stars in the seventies and eighties when the post up game was so dominant, they're backup players right now in that sense because they had this one offensive skill of scoring in the post and maybe stepping out towards the twelve fifteen feet area and shoot. But nowadays, that's that's just not enough. And if you have if you're a defensive liability on top of that, well, you probably can't even crack more than twenty five minutes anyway. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Davis have ushered in a new era of of big men. Where that actually is a perfect segue into our "Where Amazing Happens" segment because it is going to be. A coaching-themed edition, since we've had some notable coaching changes since the regular season ended. Morton already mentioned the big one. Tom Thibodeau, Minnesota. He is going there for, I think, $8 million a year. He gets control of both coaching and personnel. He brought in a general manager to handle the day-to-day operations, but he's going to be very involved in the more than just the coaching side of things. So he's got that dual role that Stan Van Gundy has balanced well and that Doc Rivers has horrifically mangled. So Morton, as our Bulls guy, as the guy who loves tips, how do you feel about him going to the T-Wolves? I love it. I think it's a good fit. He brought Scott Layden along as a GM. Um, so kind of a mixed feelings about one thing, and that's the team president role. Not because it's tips, but in generally, I would prefer that you have like three different guys at three different positions, like a team president, a general manager, and a head coach. Um, like I think Jeff Van G- or sorry, Stan Van Gundy has done a wonderful job in Detroit. I think some people can do it, but it's it, you have a little bit of conflict of interest in that regard because if you're a head coach and your product on the floor isn't working early on, you might be inclined to just scream out, well, you know what, we need to do something. We need to shake up the roster. Let me complain a little bit. Oh, wait, now I'm complaining to myself. 
and I have to take the long view, and I now I have to step back and look at the roster, not from now on, but two or three years down the road. That is a problem. But if there's a guy who can handle it, I think it's Tips because he's a basketball junkie in every single aspect. I was always a bit disappointed that it seemed like he didn't have as much influence on roster decisions in Chicago. Like, for example, he and his team advised the Bulls to draft Draymond Green instead of Marcus Teague. <laughs> and, yeah, well, we all know how that ended up, right? Now, I'm not saying that <laughs> Dray would have become the Draymond Green in Chicago, but he sure as hell would have been better than Marcus Teague. Uh, so I, I, that's on the one hand I like to see. I, I would like to see what Tips can do in that role. But, yeah, I, I would have preferred if it was three different people instead of now just two. As for his potential as a coach in terms of the players that he has at his disposal, can we just pencil in Carl Anthony Towns as the MVP within the next three years? Can we? Just yeah, yeah just like yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know, Carl, this is the 2018 MVP. Just you know, take it now, so we won't waste any time <laughs> in two years. Like, just it doesn't matter. Here, there you go. That's how I feel. He's gonna just turn Carl Anthony Towns into the, the best player in the NBA at some point. Yeah. And he was going yeah. there regardless, by the way. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, if Sam Mitchell would keep telling him not to shoot threes or try something stupid like Kurt Rambis is doing with Kristaps and putting him at the three, maybe would stun his development a little bit. But yeah, I mean, put him at the five and just let him go, go, go to work. It's going to be... I mean, I'm praying for his knees because... Thibodeau did have the tendency yeah. to ride his young guys pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like he has no regrets <laughs> based on all of the interviews he's done since being fired. He, you know, he's, he's pretty uh, staunch in his resolve about saying, look, you know, we have to practice that hard and we have to play that much because that's why my squad was so good defensively. Like we put in the reps Yeah. and now he's got, a roster of mostly 25 and under guys. So he's got the horses that have the legs to run. So again, let's just, so I'll say a prayer. No injuries for <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns. Well, you, you have to, you have to re remind yourself of something here because in Chicago, it was a flawed system because they had Derek Rose as the one offensive engine. Like so much mm -hmm. you know, emphasis was put on Rose as a scorer and as a playmaker. He essentially ran the whole squad offensively. And that man management just did not bring in necessary offensive help to ease Rose off that burden. And defensively, you know, Carlos Boozer had to be hidden at all times, which meant that Joakim Noah had to play extended minutes. You had to, like, rotate Dang up and play against larger bodies. And, and that was a time where you were more inclined to bang in the post, and Dang really took the brunt of it. So I think with that depth that there is now in Minnesota with, you know, Corky Jang there, and they're probably going to get like a top three pick, which could be, you know, on a big man. There is some weapons there that Tips didn't have previously. And I think we're going to see a more realistic image of what Tips is in Minnesota. But my final point here in regards to Tips in Minnesota is once, once more going back to Carl Anthony Towns. Like he embraced Kevin Garnett's leadership. He embraced the way Kevin Garnett taught him things like very harshly and straight on well that's tips that's tips 
So if Carl Anthony Towns responds positively to Kevin Garnett, he sure as hell is going to respond positively to Tom Thibodeau. And that's extremely encouraging. The one guy I have slight concerns with is Andrew Wiggins because I'm not sure how mentally tough this kid is. I'm not going to question him yet. I just don't know. That's not That wasn't a knock on him. That was not me saying, hey, I don't think he's mentally tough. That's me saying genuinely, I don't know. I simply don't know. I, I haven't seen anything that would bring a higher knowledge to myself regarding the toughness of this guy. So Tips will find out, and he'll make a move accordingly. Yeah, I, I think Wiggins is the guy. I mean, I'm obviously the most excited about Towns just because he is the one like truly transcendent talent on that team. Yeah. But Wiggins is the guy I think I'm most excited about in terms of unlocking his upside. Because if he, if Tibbs helped, like, helped turn Jimmy Butler into what he is now, yeah. I mean, Wiggins was a number one pick for a reason. Like He entered the league with a seemingly much higher upside than Jimmy as long as he unlocks that three-point shot. But I think Tibbs is just going to ride him to death and say, "Look, like we need you to do it." You know, the, the Timberwolves this year seemed like they were kind of reluctant once they realized Wiggins still hadn't had that shot or it's still not consistent. They weren't necessarily letting him just let it fly. And it seems like Tibbs is going to probably say, "Like, look, this is the key to your development. You're either going to be Tony Allen if you don't develop it." Or you're going to be a better like you're going to be Paul George if you do, yeah. So, you know, we're going to drill it all summer. We're going to do it in practice. We're going to do it in games. But uh, oh my God, Wiggins in a Tibbs defense is just going to be so unfair. And uh, you know, I don't know. The question with Wiggins was always, does he have the mental makeup to be that number one guy? Is he Kevin Durant or is he? You know, not cut out for that role. And thankfully, because of Towns, he doesn't need to be Kevin Durant. He can be the Scottie Pippen to Towns to Jordan, which is awesome. Because I think he's just going to... It took him a year to get adjusted to that mentality. But now with the full off season, now having seen Towns unlock his potential, I think Wiggins can go into the season next year saying, all right, I'm Robin, Towns is Batman. I'm just going to go do my thing. And he's going to be phenomenal. Morton, I think you and I are both ready to hop to the Timberwolves bandwagon. Oh yeah, just... I'm there. I'm one yeah. point though. So Scottie <laughs> Pippen could rebound. Like that's oh, good point. I mean, good point. That's one knock I do have on Wiggins. Like you, yeah. that's your team is 29th in the league in rebounding, and you pull in 3.6 boards over 35 minutes, and you're six eight, athletic as hell, and that's what you pull in. Like that will that is something that tips will change. I would I would be sorely confused and disappointed if Andrew Wiggins isn't becoming like at least an above average rebounder within the next two years from for his position. Yeah, I mean that's that's really a good. huge area of concern for me. Yeah, and his playmaking is not where you would hope it is either. But rebounding is definitely the the biggest red flag. Yeah, I mean you know to assist the game for Wiggins it's okay given his age and the fact that he was mo- used mostly as a scorer. So I mm-hmm. sort of get that, but to me, it's it's you know, or rather to tips, I should say it. The, the emphasis is on you know group rebounding and also individual rebounding because at times you're just gonna go get the damn ball, yeah. and then get out and transition. I mean, you had so many guys in Chicago you you could run the offense through, 
Boozer could pass, Joe King could pass, Derek could pass. Even Dang was a very underrated passer in his own right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you didn't really have that need for one guy who could, you know, initiate the offense. You you sort of lent a little something from each of them. I think Tips is going to do the same thing. We'll see. We'll see, of course. Sarah, I'm really yeah. intrigued to hearing you about this because you are used to a very old team in the Spurs, <laughs> a very veteran team, smart team. Looking at this Minnesota squad that is very young, very inexperienced, like where did you see that potential going? Because you you followed along for for with this, with San Antonio when they were still not not in their infancy, but they were considerably younger. Well, my first year watching was Manu's rookie year, and that was '03 when they ended up winning, and they were very young that year, except for David Robinson who was in his final year, and like four vets who hardly ever played like Steve Kerr, you know, uh, Danny Ferry, Steve <laughs> Smith. Yeah, I'm excited. You said uh, you know, speaking of penciling in Towns as MVP, which we figure he's headed there anyway. How long does it take for them to get top 10 as a defensive team or top 5? I think they were like 23rd in opponent points per game this year. They've shown the ability. They have the athletes to do it. They have the length. Towns is ridiculous in his ability to jump out there on you know, like point guards for spots. So how long does it take? Like, How much is, is too much expectation reasonably? That, that's a good question. Like, I'm inclined to say that they're going to break into the upper half of the league mm-hmm. next year. And... Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it would be disappointing if they didn't, right? right? I mean, it's tips. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And with the internal improvements, you know what? I'm going to go for it. Yeah, they're going to be a top 10 defense next year. I think yeah. next year, top 10. I, yeah. And and if not top 10, like top 12. I would agree with that. The Sixers were 12th or 13th last year, and they had Nerlens and a bunch of D-League guys. Yeah. And I, lo- I love Brett Brown, but, you know, to – he doesn't have the defensive reputation of Tibbs. Like if you, I mean, the, the problem with Minnesota is they've just been so banged up a lot in the past couple of years. Like Rubio can't stay healthy, and but you know you have Rubio, Zach Levine, Wiggins, Jang, Towns. Like those are five good defensive players in a Tibbs system. Yeah, I, I think top ten is. I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that at all, and I think top five within the next two or three years assuming no major roster overhaul yeah and and just to your point last year they were or this year this season they were pretty healthy you had wiggins playing 81 towns 82 rupio 76 sack levine 82 jang 82 and even shabazz muhammad played 82 like that's not going to continue under tips (laughs) (laughs) but i don't think it's going to be all that bad because that depth shows that he has some flexibility I have point. a feeling Tips' secret weapon is going to be Shabazz Muhammad. He liked to have a guy off the bench who could just wreak havoc on teams. I have a feeling that's going to be Shabazz. Like, the one guy that he's going to just turn the blind eye to in regards to defense and just tell this young kid, all right, when you get in there, just score the ball. Just go nuts. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Put pressure on everybody. I think that's that's going to be his Kyle Korver in that sense. Yeah. Well, Bazzi was the guy who, when the Wolves beat the Warriors at the end of the season, he, he was the one who 
torched him. He had like 30 plus points that night. So he totally could fill that just microwave score yeah. role. They're going to be. All right. Well, when this when this podcast hits July and the Sixers sign Rajon Rondo for a max deal and the Bulls re-sign Pau Gasol for Don't 20 million. Don't go there, Brian. I'm going to be upset. This, this is turning into a Timberwolves only podcast. So enjoy it while you can, listeners. <laughs> well, okay. You're forgetting Sarah here. She's, she has every incentive to stay on with the Spurs. Yeah, until Tim and Manu retire, oh, right. she's going to be too heartbroken. Right. Then yeah. I'm just going to so join you guys. Timberwolves only. We're all going to Minnesota. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, let's 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 touch on one more coaching hire before we head out here. Luke Walton, new Lakers head coach, after they finally mercifully fired Byron Scott about 11 days too late. Uh, <laughs> they hired Luke on Friday. And it seemed like he was their number one choice. They didn't, I don't believe they did any other interviews aside from Luke. So I'm curious, Sarah, let's start with you because you have a long history with hating the Lakers as a Spurs fan. How, how scared are you of Luke Walton as the Lakers head coach? Well, I'm not immediately scared like for next year, (laughs) but yeah, he's, Mm -hmm. I think he's going to maximize what he has on that roster. Um, He's, he's had a, up close personal view of how to get the ball moving, how to open up an offense. That's what they need, which is exactly the opposite of what they had this year. They're going to get better and probably three years. They could be scary again. So I'm not looking forward to that. I'm just stuck thinking about his age. He's the first head coach in us, big, large us American sports that's born in the eighties. He's 36 years old. His last game was in 2013. I remember his rookie season. So that makes me feel old, guys. That's what I'm sitting here. I'm feeling <laughs> old right now. This guy is six years older than me. And I'm like, okay. Okay, I'm feeling behind right now. My life yeah. has suddenly not been that accomplishing. <laughs> but turning the fu- turning focus over to Luke, uh could there have been a better hire? I wouldn't think so. No. I mean, yeah, okay, tips, but he wasn't apparently in the cards. Luke Walden is the perfect guy for so many reasons. He's got a learning curve himself, but he's had a lot of taste with success. He's probably going to win his second ring as an assistant coach this year. So he's going to come in with some experience, but still with the understanding that kids need to develop. And that's the best possible news for D'Angelo Russell. That's the best possible news for Julius Randle. That's the best possible uh, solution also for Jordan Clarkson and maybe a first-round draft pick this year. Maybe. We don't know where they're going to land. So, oh, what a blow for the Lakers, by the way, if they don't get that that, that uh, top three pick, huh? Yeah, I'm so salty. I'm just so, so salty. I mean... I honestly like. There's been a debate for the, among Sixers fans if it's better for that pick to convey this year in a presumably weak draft class, and you know, in the four or five range, you're probably looking at Buddy Heald or Jamal Murray, most likely. Oh, he's good though. Or if, yeah, right. I, you know, but are they like number four pick caliber in a given year? Who knows? You know, the the thought is, do you take four in a weak draft class or do you take your risk next year when the draft class is supposed to be a lot stronger? And a, a lot of people were saying, 
push it to 2017. Uh, you know, it just, we'd rather take our chances. With Luca Board, no, I want it now. I'm scared. Yeah. I'm really scared. I get that. I, I, yeah. ESPN's uh, Kevin Pelton had a really good column about how Luke could fit with the Lakers and why Lakers fans should be optimistic. And he basically said, you know, he's, as you guys mentioned, he's with the Warriors right now. He's seen how to, to maximize the talents of really good players. And Pelton basically said, you can work D'Angelo Russell on and off the ball like you can work Curry. You can have Randall. He's an underrated playmaker. Yeah. He can turn into your version of Draymond Green. And then you have other ball handlers. You have Lou Williams. You have Jordan Clarkson, assuming he sticks around. So they can take some pressure off of Russell. So all of a sudden, the Lakers went from total joke for the last couple of years because they've been torn between building toward the future versus giving Kobe this elaborate send-off. You know, now they can actually finally start looking ahead. And I don't know that Luke necessarily lures the top-tier free agent. I don't think this convinces Kevin Durant to come to L.A. this year. Uh, even a guy like Al Horford or Conley. You know, I don't know that they get their top five guy. But suddenly, like, you know, they could still get a DeMar DeRozan. They could still get a Hassan Whiteside. I don't want to take my chances anymore. Like, I want that Lakers pick now. Because really, the thought of that thing, like, I mean, I even if they get all those players... Making the playoffs is going to be an upward climb next year just because the West is still pretty top-heavy. But, you know, we, we said it before, like Memphis could fall apart, mm. Dallas could fall apart. If Houston blows up and, you know, Dwight leaves or they trade James Harden, they could fall apart. Like Minnesota, you figure, is going to be in the race next year. Uh, Utah should be. New Orleans, once they get healthy. But, like, that that pick could be number four now or, like, 13, 14. You know, maybe there's an outside chance it's in the mid-teens, like 16, 17, if they make the playoffs. So Yeah, definitely get it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm salty. Yeah. I just, I, I'm praying. May 17th is, like, it's my Super Bowl right now. Unfortunately, Brian, I've looked into my crystal ball right here, right? And this is my yeah. prediction. The Lakers are going to win the, the draft lottery. And they're going to take oh Brandon Ingram. Oh, I would, I would be okay with that. Yeah, me too. Because as long as the Sixers get number two, but if they if they fall, oh my god, if they don't get a top two pick and the Lakers win the lottery, I think there are just going to be riots in Philadelphia. And you and you guys would get Ben Simmons just to add to your big man mystery yeah. thingy, whatever you've got <laughs> going right. on there in Philly. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully that would force them into trading Okafor because then you're basically, I mean, you have Simmons. Who, Simmons is an obvious four. Dario Saric is an obvious four. You have three guys who are best suited to playing center. You have to trade one of them. Yeah. You're not trading Embiid. Well, you know I what? Really trade hope. one of them to San Antonio because they need some youth now. <laughs> hey, Pau Gasol's going there. Oh, that's, uh, we forgot. yeah, he's young. <laughs> Forgot to ask Sarah how how excited are you for Pau Gasol in San Antonio next I'm year? I'm not. Pau, Pau <laughs> missed his shot. Stay away, Pau. <laughs> uh, 
All right, guys. I think that's going to wrap it up for us. We're going to be back later this week with an Eastern Conference preview once the games wrap up. We have two Game 7s on Sunday between Toronto and Indiana and Miami and Charlotte. So once we have that bracket set, we will be back with an Eastern Conference preview. Until then, this was the NBA podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. Be sure to check out bballbreakdown.com for all of your playoff coverage. We've been doing recaps for every game. Uh, we're going to have series previews coming up next couple days. I did a Hawks-Cavs one, so keep an eye out for that. Morton and Sarah, as always, it's been a pleasure. We'll catch you guys in a few days. Likewise, Bri. Talk to you later. Take care, guys. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to 20 cents per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to 20 cents per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in store.